Welcome to Faith City Outreach, where your host, Marina Maria, reaches out to the world to discuss Christian topics and providing biblical solutions, as well as praying for the nations. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The music in this broadcast is provided courtesy of Zapsplat.com. Now, here is your host, Marina Maria. Today's special guest, Dr. David Moore, President of American Indian College in Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you for being here today, Dr. Moore. I'm interested in hearing your testimony and how God has blessed your leadership role at American Indian College. How long have you been the president for American Indian College in Phoenix, Arizona? Well, first, let me say thank you for inviting me, Marina, to be be interviewed and to talk about the passion of my heart, which is American Indian College and Native American ministry in general. Uh, My story is a little unusual in that I was with this college from 1975 to 1994, and that's when American Indian College became regionally accredited and had kind of its growth spurt. And then I left the school for 19 years, and during that time I was in Springfield, Missouri, serving at the national headquarters for church organization. Uh, In 2013, the board invited me to come back. So it's kind of an unusual thing, second time around as a president of the same institution. That does not happen very often, does it? <laughs> I don't think so. Did you expect that to happen? No, are you kidding me? In my <laughs> wildest dreams, I didn't think I'd ever be back here. But I tell you, it has been a joy to be able to return. And, you know, the, the, the passion for Native Americans and many of our friends in Native American ministry really never left me even during that time. And I was involved for most of that time in Christian higher education and, uh, and even involved to a certain extent with American Indian College, even while I was away. Wow. Did you ever think or plan to be president of a private Christian college that primarily serves Native American students? Well, prior to coming the first time, I don't know that I ever thought of that. What I thought of was uh, becoming a part of ministry to a unique uh, cultural group. And because of my background in undergraduate school in anthropology, I became familiar with other cultures. And for whatever reason, I kind of gravitated to wanting to find out about American Indians, their languages, their culture, their history, where they live on reservations and the different groups and so on. And so uh, I really did think about wanting to be a part of ministry to these many people have called them the forgotten people. And I think it's an apt term in many regards. But uh, I did think of being involved, but not not really the president of a Christian college. Now, have you ever uh, visited a reservation here in Arizona? Oh, my goodness. I'm on reservations almost every other week or so, and I lived on the White Mountain Apache Reservation. Wow. Um, So I've been all over almost every community on the Navajo Reservation, all over the White Mountain Apache Reservation where we lived. I've been on the San Carlos Reservation. I've been to the bottom of Grand Canyon to have a Supai Reservation. I've been in almost every community on the Gila River Reservation. I've been on the Tohono Reservation. And uh, I've been on reservations in New Mexico as well, Mescalero, Hickoria, many of the Pueblo reservations along the Rio Grande, and the Zuni, uh, the Hopi, which is in Arizona. Um, so sorry to mention all those names, but they are like second nature to me because I've been in every community on those reservations many times. That's impressive. Do you think that being able to 
have visited those reservations or reservations um, that has helped you in your leadership position? Well, no question about it. And I think there's a little story I could share with you that will illustrate this a bit. Um, my wife and I were driving from one community to another on the Navajo reservation, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago. And I said to her, I said, honey, I wish people could see what I see and come across this reservation. Then they would understand the need for this institution and for a place which is the only uh, college in the nation that's a private college primarily serving Native Americans in the United States, the only accredited Christian college in the nation serving primarily Native American students. So I said to her, I wish people could see what I see. Yeah. And then I caught myself about a minute later and I said, you know what? People wouldn't see what I see because what I see is hope, opportunity, need, um, strategies and ways to try to reach these people and get them a spiritual, uh, spiritual awakening and all of those things. But most people would see poverty, they would see laziness, they would see, they would see a totally different thing than I see. Right. And so I have to tell you, when I see Native Americans, when I live, and I have lived in one of the communities on the White Mountain Apache Reservation, and I get to know the people, I see real people with real needs that somebody yeah. should come along and try to identify with and understand. Amen. Now, why do you think uh, the American Indian College is the only college in the nation that is serving primarily Native American students? Why do I think that's the yes. case? Because I thought when I read that, I was really surprised, and that was so new to me. And in my mind, I was going to, I was thinking, I have got to ask him this question. Well, I, you know, I think it's this. Uh, there are about 37 colleges in the United States that are accredited that serve primarily Native Americans. Okay. All of those are tribal colleges or Bureau of Indian Affairs colleges. They're okay. not Christian colleges. Um, this is the only one that's a Christian college. Why is this the only one? Right. Um, it's difficult to f have enough finances to run a school whose parents cannot provide enough for students' tuition fees and room and board. Mm -hmm. So you have to raise a significant amount of money yeah. outside of uh, what most colleges normally receive. And we also have to keep our tuition fees, room and board pretty low so the students can even halfway afford to come here. Now, I know a lot of people say to me, yeah, but you're Native Americans, they get all this tribal money and it pays for their education. Mm -hmm. And that's not quite the case. I would some tribes give some money to help mm -hmm. some students attend school. Uh, most of our students still have to get Pell Grants and other federal aid, and many of them still have to get federal loans as well. Uh, but, but nevertheless, our tuition fees, I mean, our educational costs are quite a bit under any other private college uh, that I would even know of. But yeah, but, so the reason is that there aren't other accredited Christian colleges that serve primarily Native Americans. It's just because it is tough financially to run such an operation. But it would be well worth it, right? I think it would be well worth it, but you'd have to have a, I mean, it's taken a lot of years. This school started in 1957, okay. uh, became accredited in 1982, uh, but it's taken a lot of years to develop any kind of financial base. And even that, even at that, you know, that's, uh, it's tough every day to sit where I sit 
just knowing I can get enough money to pay the bills. And what is the vision that God has given you for American Indian College? We want to help transform reservation communities. Anybody at all who's traveled reservations and visited reservation communities can see uh, that there are lots of problems there. Uh, people misunderstand those problems. They assign it oftentimes to laziness or inability to understand things and a lack of background. I, I kind of understand the language situation different, especially with Navajo and Apache, large tribes. Even though they may speak English today, many of them also uh, do speak their native language, but they certainly think in their native language. And their mm -hmm. uh, cultural uh, uh, ideals are much different than uh, regular uh, Western uh, Americans for the most part. Um, so it, it's a challenge uh, and it's a need kind of tied up in one. Since that is a challenge, how do you resolve that challenge? What well, are you doing right now to resolve it? Well, we want to, we know that most American Indians that go to college somewhere will have trouble fitting in. Mm -hmm. And we know uh, statistically that the dropout rate of Native Americans in college is higher than any other ethnic group in the nation. Number one, not that many graduate from college, especially if they're in reservation schools. Number two, the schools they graduate from do not prepare them well for college. Mm -hmm. Number three, when they go to college, they, they can't function well because they get mainstream and they have teachers that don't understand the cultural differences, mm -hmm. don't understand how they think and how they process information, mm -hmm. their learning styles. We address that at this institution. We, are, we have culturally relevant and culturally sensitive uh, faculty. All of our programs are run with Native American culture and ideas in mind. And uh, we, we know we get at-risk students, but uh, we're very successful in bringing them up to collegiate level and graduating them. And they do go back to reservations and make a difference. Can you describe one of the programs that does touch on uh, being culturally sensitive to the Native Americans? Well, our programs all across the spectrum, whether it be educational, whether it be student mm -hmm. life, or whatever, we, uh, we look at Native American culture. Uh, just quickly, our elementary education program. Uh, mm -hmm. We have graduates every year that will graduate in that program. Many of them will go back to reservation communities to teach. Um, they will have some of their coursework in relevance to Native American um, culture and values. But our students don't necessarily need that in the academic program because that's who they are. Mm -hmm. And when they go back, they can be much more effective in teaching than an outsider in one of True. their reservation community schools. But the main thing is, too, it gives them an income and uh, gives them a job that helps them have a Christian witness in that community. And when I say we, our goal is to transform Native American communities, it's mm -hmm. through our programs in Christian ministry and elementary education and in business and if I could just, um, you didn't ask me this, but it kind of leads me to this. Uh, the chairman of the Navajo tribe, uh, the Honorable Russell Begay, spoke for our, the Navajo tribe, by the way, is the largest reservation, largest tribe in the nation. Um, uh, he spoke for our graduation a few years ago. Uh, and he mentioned the fact that every community he goes to, he sees graduates of American Indian College um, making significant uh, impact in their communities. Wow. He happens to be a born-again Christian. He came down and prayed for our graduates, laid hands on them. He said to me, the fact that your school is a large reason why someone like me can be elected chairman of the Navajo tribe, because uh, that was quite a, uh, 
quite an event for a Christian to be elected chairman of the Navajo tribe. But I'll give you one more quick example. Oh, absolutely. Our, our, Please share. Our, uh, one of our board members is Rhea Goklish, and I just talked to her today on the phone. She is the uh, superintendent for the um, White Mountain Apache Tribe Unified School District there. She told me that when we send students uh, to college from Alchesay High School, which is their main high school on the reservation, our tribe invests in some of them as they're able to get higher education grants. And she said, but the problem is very few of them never come back home to help us. But when we send them to American Indian College, we know they're going to come back home. We know they're going to help uh, take a responsible place in our community, and they are going to be a witness for Christ, and mm -hmm. they're going to help sustain our community. Amen. So it's been pretty successful. I would say so. We just did a, a, a comprehensive study of our graduates, and it was amazing to me to see, you know, I don't know, two, three hundred graduates uh, teaching school in business, pastoring churches, and other types wow. of ministry on or near reservation communities, really mostly Arizona and New Mexico, but in probably 10 or 12 other states as well. Do you ever get in touch with them after a few years? All the time. Yeah, That's I'm great. in touch with many of our graduates. That's great. What is one major positive change that has happened over the years at American Indian College? Well, I think the main change that's happened in the last few years is um, the fact that we've been connected with a larger institution, mm -hmm. which in Texas, which is also a, it's a large Christian university, and it has enabled us to expand our majors beyond the a small number that we have to over 50. Now, yes, many of those are, require some online classes, but students who come here and take online classes, we actually have a computer lab where we have a, an individual assigned to helping students in their online program because we know that a lot of students don't do well online, mm -hmm. especially reservation-type students. And, mm -hmm. But nevertheless, this, the, the government um, requirements and the um, regulatory environment has been so severe the last few mm -hmm. years that a small institution like ours, really, it takes a tremendous amount of resources and time and energy to meet them. But being connected with a larger institution as really a branch campus of theirs now has helped us significantly. So the biggest uh, positive change we've had in the last few years is just in the last two years when we have become uh, a partner with SAGU, Southwestern Assemblies of God University in Texas. That's great. I'm talking to Dr. David Moore, president of American Indian College in Phoenix, Arizona. What are some Native American student testimonies that you have witnessed recently? Yeah, that's it's it's the question here is which which one am I going to pick? Um, and the other thing is I have to be careful because when I give information about testimonies, some of the things become pretty private and and I know this is a radio station, and I want to be careful, you know, the types of nature of things that I share. Uh, many of our students come from very difficult environments, uh, some where there's various types of abuse, um, where there's family dysfunction. Um, I can tell you this, that we have lots of students that whose testimonies are so incredible it, it would... Um, um, just to see them functioning well today in a college environment is incredible. Um, but I will share uh, one with you that I know of recently, and again, I'll be careful with what I say. A young lady we have who's a student now shared not too long ago, and she's from a reservation community. I won't identify where it's from, but she shared about how uh, she had been uh, abused as a child by family members and how difficult it was growing up. 
She also talked about the high school in her very small reservation community that was, uh, uh, was closed down because there weren't enough students to attend there anymore and how she had to ride a bus an hour and a half one way to go to school to finish her high school career. And so uh, she, she came to American Indian College with, with this in mind. I want to go. I want to get a degree in education. Then I want to go on and get a master's degree. I want to go back to my community, and I want to see that high school reestablished so that the people in that community can continue to get an education without the pressure of having to go so far away. Um, and she's such a, I see her in my mind right now, she, she has such a spiritual connection to that I know she's going to accomplish her mission. That's a great story. What is unique about American Indian College compared to other colleges, Dr. Moore? Lots of uniquenesses. One, of course, is that we uh, serve primarily Native American students. A second is that we, uh, we believe every student matters, and we, um, so therefore, we take time with each student in every area, uh, whether it's a student life program, whether it's the academic program, whether it's our chapel and spiritual life program. Uh, all of us here get to know students. I had a student say to me not too long ago who had transferred here from a junior college saying, man, when I went to the junior college, I didn't know. I never met the president, and I see you every day, and I talk to you. Uh, I think that's a unique thing about this campus, too. I think a third thing that's unique about the campus is that, and I don't know if it's that unique of all Christian colleges, but I would say that uh, all of our people here pray, pray regularly for our students. Um, and I read that we, in, your, in yeah, your website. Yeah. We take time to pray for our students on a regular basis. And we don't just say, Lord, bless our students. We actually go to them personally and oh. talk to them and say, let me pray with you about this situation. Um, so it, it, I think it's, and you know, it ties into Native American culture so much better because they're so uh, uh, oriented toward people. They're much more people. Like family oriented. Family oriented than, than is uh, the uh, non-Indian culture for the most part. I know Hispanic culture, we have some Hispanic students too that really fit in well here, by the way. Uh, they're very, very family oriented as well. But it, it ties in well with them because they don't like to be considered a number or something, and, and they're not here. All right. So primarily there's Native Americans here and right. then Hispanics, is right. there, and then also Anglos? We obey Americans. the law that says you can't discriminate. So, right. but, but everyone knows who comes here that this is primarily serving Native Americans. So we have probably 60% of our students are Native American, maybe 20% uh, are Hispanic, uh, we have some African-Americans, and we have a few uh, Anglo students. But, you know, they all get along. They understand this is the mission of the school, um, primarily serving Native Americans. So, you know, if they come here, they know what they're getting into. Exactly. And how do you maintain a place of faith? How do I personally maintain yes. a place of faith? Um, well, I, I want to stay close to the Lord all the time. Uh, and my wife knows that uh, wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, um, I'm thinking about ways that I can serve the Lord. Um, I, I, from, from the time I grew up, I've always rooted for the underdog. Maybe it was because of my background. My mother died when I was 11. I had three younger brothers. And uh, I don't know, probably part, really part of my personality too. Uh, and that may have been what caused me to gravitate toward Native Americans. Um, so I, I, I always try to understand that 
whatever I'm going through, whatever difficulties I have, there are other people who have it much worse than I do. And I think that helps maintain faith because it keeps you from thinking about yourself all the time and causes you to think about others. You know, that's what Jesus did. Exactly. So I know that may not be the, uh, a theological answer, but it's, uh, but it's a real answer from my heart. And yes, I was thinking that it was, it's your answer. Now, what are the needs of American Indian College right now? Well, I have to be honest with you, our primary need are finances. Our students have difficulty coming up with the funds they need. I work very hard raising money for what we call our student assistance fund, and that's money that goes right into helping students pay their school bills. Uh, as I sit here today, end of the semester, I look at a number of students who we have challenges with to try to raise money, to raise money to help them pay off their second semester expenses so they can come back in the fall. You know, we want them to work, we want them to pay on their bill, but we also understand that family expects uh, students to contribute to the family, too. So we've got that cultural conflict there. Mm -hmm. So our greatest need is funds for our, to meet the needs of our students. And if a listener wanted more information about American Indian College, how can he or she get more information? By email, by your website? What's the best yeah, way? Well, our website is mainly geared toward prospective students and others, but you can get information there at, at aicag.edu. Okay. Um, and, of course, they can call us at area code 602-944-3335, and I'd be happy to have anybody email me at d is in David, M-O-O-R-E, at aicag.edu. What do you hope to accomplish at American Indian College before God moves you to a new ministry? Sending more students into the marketplace and seeing, as I have many graduates now when I visit reservation communities, seeing more of them go there, seeing students that are here now and being able to visit them in a few years and say they were a student and now they are doing something significant in ministry in a reservation community. Amen. Thanks again, Dr. David Moore, for being my guest tonight. Would you please close with a prayer for American Indian College and for whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to sure. pray for? Well, thank you, Marina, for allowing me to be here, too. Father, we're grateful for your grace and your goodness, and thank you for bringing me into this uh, context of ministry, and thank you for the students who attend here and those who are home now in various places where they're serving internships in ministry. And, uh, and Lord, we just uh, pray that you will um, help us fulfill the goals that are in our heart for American Indian College, that you'll maybe touch listeners to see how they might want to become involved in, uh, in what we're doing here at American Indian College. Uh, but most importantly, that we see reservation communities transformed for the kingdom of God. For I pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. I'd like uh, to look at passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. And Paul says some very interesting things here. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law to though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. 
I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. What's interesting about this is that Paul is really saying something that uh, in our modern culture, we almost attest to the opposite. I heard people say all the time, well, we can't be all things to all people. But what Paul is actually saying here is, hey, if I want to win people to Christ, I'm willing to become all things to all people. So that by all possible means, I might save some. Um, well, what's he really saying? I think there are three essential things here. Uh, number one, he says you've got to become something that you are not. And the only way we can become something that we're not is to give up what we are. And then the third thing is the only way to give up who we are is if we have so much love for what we are not that we're willing to surrender that. Now think about it this way. Jesus gave up something he was not because he loved people so much that he was willing to become what they are. Jesus gave up temporarily his desire to be glorified in his divine nature so that he could become a human being and understand what people go through, be tempted in all ways as humans. So that's our supreme example. And really that's what Paul is talking about here as far as the model of the incarnation. Doing everything we can to win others for Christ, but the way to do that is to become what they are. I see sometimes, uh, and I have people contact me sometimes saying, you know, I want to uh, reach Native Americans. Uh, what are some witnessing techniques I can use? And really, the answer to that is there are no tricky witnessing techniques. It's very simple. If you want to reach Native Americans, you must be willing to become what they are and who they are. Give up who you are temporarily, as Jesus did, but most importantly, you have to love them. And if you love them, you'll be able to do that. It's kind of like Paul said in um, Philippians 3, 7, I count everything I'm doing as loss so that I may gain Christ. And really, it's in giving up that we gain. Well, when my wife and I went to work with Apache Indians uh, many years ago, we saw pretty quickly that these people on the Waiman Apache Reservation did things a lot differently than what we were accustomed to in our culture. Uh, one of the ladies in the church made a cradle board for our daughter who was born there. We had to decide whether we were going to put our daughter in a cradle board um, and go through, you know, what that means. And we decided we were going to do that. And I'll never forget, we put Rachel in a cradle board and took her to church. And, and I could see the people were so impressed that we were willing to engage in a practice that, uh, you know, adopting something from their culture. But that was just kind of a form. It was just not really totally absorbing an understanding why these people that we were living with did things so much differently than we did. Uh, let me give you an example that will help illustrate that. Uh, we noticed that whenever the Apaches had any kind of celebration of any kind, they always had food served. And uh, we'd invited an Apache couple to our home, for example, and my wife made, I think, some spaghetti and we noticed that when they left, they wrapped up all the leftover spaghetti and napkins and took it home with them. And we thought, man, how rude. 
But what they were saying was, thank you so much, and this is how we express our appreciation for what was offered, by letting you know we like it and so much that we'll take it home with you. So we noticed every time we went to any kind of function, food was served and people always took food home with them. Well, we went to a celebration not long after arriving in that community uh, where someone had died and uh, there were some, uh, they, we were told to be there at a certain time and we got there at that certain time and nobody was there, which is another thing we learned about the culture there. Uh, anytime you show up for something at the time that's announced, you're showing your greediness. So you always wait respectively a little bit later to come. Now, we have a lot of people that call that Indian time or think that they're late and unappreciative, but that's not really why, that's not really the background for the coming after the time that's announced. The background is that they, um, they don't wanna disrespect the occasion by showing up at the time so they can get what is going to be offered at that celebration. But we noticed at that celebration that um, eventually food was served and people left, took food home with them. And we notice they carry the same attitude over into their church life. So for example, when it was time for church, time to start, hardly anybody was there, if anybody. And, but you know, half hour, 45 minutes later, people start arriving. But, but once they're there, they're not in any hurry to leave because they wanna take home with them a plate of spiritual food. And so by understanding the background and the frame of reference and thinking for why people do things and what makes them think the way they do, we can understand what Paul is meaning when he says, if you wanna win people for Christ, you've got to be willing to see things through their perspective instead of demanding they see things the way you see them. And I think about sometimes that we have somebody maybe we work with or we interact with occasionally who's not a Christian, we wanna win them to the Lord, and maybe we engage in different types of discussion and we tell them our perspective and we argue with them to help them see our point. And uh, really what Paul is saying here, you gotta be willing to see their point. You may not agree with it, uh, but most of the time it's harmless, it's just a difference of opinion. And even in a husband and a wife, if husbands and wives wanna understand each other and get along well, they have to be willing to see things from the other person's perspective because they were raised differently under different values, different ideas, different notions. Um, so that's what Paul is saying here. If you wanna be effective in reaching other for Christ, it's not some tricky witnessing tool or some strategy that's gonna make it effective. It's the fact that you love that person enough that you're willing to become what they are. We had a student at American Indian College um, a few years back, and uh, let me tell you the story about him because it helps illustrate this point a little bit. Uh, his name was Fred Billy. And one summer, um, I took my sons, who were young at the time, across one of the reservations to visit uh, several of the communities and several of our students at American Indian College who were living in those communities. And one of the communities I came to, Fred Billy was there. The, uh, and immediately he came and greeted us and showed me where he was staying. And he took me inside a, a Sunday school room at his church. And he's at the church he attended there. That's back in the days when most churches had Sunday school. And showed me a blanket and a pillow on the floor. And he said, this is where I'm staying. 
I said, Fred, why are you staying here? And he said, well, you don't understand. My family has are traditionalists, and uh, they have said that it was one thing for me to go to college. He had been a freshman that uh, previous year. But it was another thing for me, I'm sorry, it was one thing for me to come to this church and give my life to Christ, but it was another thing for me to go to college and prepare myself for ministry. And so um, he said, uh, the pastor said, well, the only thing I have is uh, the opportunity for you to stay here in a little room we have in the church. And so Fred said that's where he was staying. Um, so we left there. And I said in my heart, I wish I could take Fred with me back home for the summer rather than endure this situation. But I knew two things. I knew, number one, this is a situation Fred was going to have to face. And secondly, I knew that every community I went in, probably I'd have a similar situation and I wouldn't have enough room for everybody. But it came back time for the uh, fall semester to start and I went around looking across campus and meeting various students and I was looking for Fred to see if he was there. So I looked around and and finally I, I saw Fred at a distance in the parking lot. I said, oh great, he came back. And so I went over and talked to him and I greeted him and uh, then a few months later I was in a church conference in another city and a lady came up to me and showed me a picture and she said, uh, you know who this is? And I said, well, yeah, that's Fred Billy. She said, that's my son. So I really didn't know how to react. And uh, so I came back to the college and I talked to Fred and he said, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, my, my, my mom's a Christian now, she got saved. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, Fred, you sat in that Sunday school room, you stayed there all summer long. And uh, because of the rejection from your family and you lost a lot, but now I see what you've gained. And I thought about this, giving up so much, but gaining so much. Then Fred told me the story. He said, you know, that night you were there at our church, he said, I got up out of the bed and I walked down the city, the village streets, and I said, Lord, reveal yourself to me. I can't take this anymore, this rejection. So he said, I found a man sleeping on the side of the road. By this time, he had slept over his drunkenness. And he said, I just started to share Jesus with him. And Fred said, he became my project during the summer, and I would go and minister and share with him every day and read the Bible to him. And he said, I really became convinced that he had accepted Christ as his Savior. Then Fred said, the last day before returning to the school, the church took up an offering for me, and I went into a community off the reservation and purchased some school supplies, but my eyes drifted down to a newspaper, and I looked at the obituary column and saw this man's name written in the obituary column. Fred's exact words were one thing to see his name in the obituary column, it was another to know that it was now written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So Fred's story about this man and the story about his mother who had now come to Christ um, was an inspiration to me and helped me to understand how important it is to understand what Paul is saying to us that if we want to reach other people for Christ we've got to be willing to not only see things through their eyes but to give up who we are and sometimes to lose because it is in loss that we gain and when we lose something precious to us even uh, our own sense of protection and uh, um, and, re and rejection from people who we think will love us 
we can eventually, if we stay close to the Lord, find out what winning really is. Now, telling the story about Fred, and there's a lot more I could say, but uh, I remember going to Fred's wedding in a community where he now lives and where he has pastored for the last 18 years. And he's been a part of the school system there along with his wife. And he now has a teenage daughter who's growing into adulthood. And uh, I look back at uh, the life of Fred Billy and I see some of the words from the Apostle Paul about gaining through losing. And I think of another student who came to me once as we were having a general session in our chapel. She said, I want to share something with you. And uh, I want to share it with the students. And, you know, because chapel is always planned, you never know what somebody may say. So I was a little reluctant, but I said, I think I need to let her say what she wants to say. So she stood before our students in our chapel, and this is what she said. She said, I don't hate my father anymore. Then she said it a second time with more intensity, I don't hate my father anymore. And then she said it a third time, she started to cry, and she became very broken. And she said, I don't hate my father anymore. And then she paused for several seconds, and I, I felt I needed to get up there and intervene, but I, but I waited, and she said, you see, from the time I was a little girl, I was mistreated and abused by my father. But something has come over me in my experience here on this campus and in my understanding of what God expects of us and in my Christian walk to know that if I'm ever going to be effective for Christ, I have to forgive my father and I have to get over this. Now the rest of this story that eventually carried itself out and she shared later is that she said to me, she said, you know, I went home during Christmas break that year and I went up to my father and I did something I'd never done before. I put my arms around him and I hugged him and I said, Dad, I love you. And she said he didn't know how to react because he we had this secret between us and he had never accepted or expected anything like that from me before. But she said more than that on Sunday morning, I said, Dad, will you go to church with me? And he did. And she said, um, at the end of the service, he walked down the aisle with me and accepted Christ as his Savior. And I thought about what this young lady lost in dignity and in hurt and pain, emotional. But then I saw what she won and what she gained because she was willing to put all of that aside and forgive the person who had done something um, very unfortunate to her. But as I've watched her life over the years and seen how she has been able to help young women in similar situations since then, I see that God has really had his hand on her life and her ministry has been very effective since then. You know, it's true, when we win and we get everything our way, uh, we lose because we lose relationship. Just think about it, husband and wives. When you get into a discussion, argument with each other, and you think you've won, you really haven't because you lost something in your spouse uh, because you've overpowered them with your words and with your cunningness and so on. 
But when you say, you know what, dear, I see what you're saying, and I understand it in your light, then you have won, and you have increased the relationship you have. It's the same way with any people, whether it's a, a relative, whether it's a friend, whether it's from one culture to another. And I gotta tell you, in living on an Indian reservation and spending so many years ministry to Native Americans, I have learned that the things I've been willing to lay aside that maybe at one time were very important to me, like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, the things that were once important to me, those I now count lost. And I can say the same thing. Things, you know, ideas, notions, values that were so important to me, had nothing to do with biblical values, by the way, just kind of cultural values. Then learning and seeing and watching how other people operate uh, and the values they have have helped me appreciate. I gave you an illustration a little earlier in this sermon about uh, Apache Indians arriving in events after the time that's announced. Remember that illustration for a moment because a, a leader came to me at one time and said, uh, there is a, a Native American in the uh, Native American community near us who has been just a wonderful man and we want to honor him. Now this was a non-Indian talking to me and he said, so we had a banquet in his honor. And he said, we were so upset because he came 45 minutes late to the banquet in his honor. And I said, what you don't understand is he came 45 minutes late because the banquet was in his honor. He would not, in his Navajo way of thinking, ever consider it appropriate to show up right at the time that's announced to get some kind of award or some kind of recognition and be so greedy because, yeah, he kind of understands non Indian culture and thinking and ideas, but when it's something that uh, close to his heart, he's always going to default to his cultural value, which is never draw attention to yourself, especially when you're going to be honored or something. So, you know, when we, I said a moment ago, when we win an argument, we lose, but when we see it through the other person's eyes, we win. And, you know, in uh, John chapter 12 and verse 24, John puts this well when he says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. When we are willing to lay aside the things that are important to us, and as Paul says, become all things to all people so that by all possible means we might save some only then and we die to ourselves, can we produce many seeds there's nothing really tricky or unusual about that it's just a matter of having the type of relationship with christ that we don't see ourselves as the center of everything but we see ourselves as someone willing to become a part of everyone else. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, <clears throat> we're grateful for these words from your servant, Paul, and it really helps us understand something that we as kind of middle-class Americans um, have some trouble with. We, we wanna be doing things all the time. And we say, what do you do? 
and we talk to people and say, let's do, let's do, let's do. And what you're really telling us, it's not what we do that counts, it's who we are, what we're willing to become. It's not the quantity of our activity that creates any opportunity for um, being able to affect others for Christ. Rather, it is the quality of our being and the quality of who we are and what we are willing to become. Lord, give us your grace and help us to grow in your knowledge and to become all things to all people so that by all possible means we might save some. For I pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. We have run out of time, but Faith City Outreach can be heard again on Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. This radio program is sponsored by King Jesus Christ Ministries in Phoenix, Arizona. You have been listening to the Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria as she interviews Christian pastors and leaders to discuss scriptures and topics affecting the Christian community and to pray for the nations. If you need to contact Marina Maria, please email her at fcoprogram at gmail.com. The music used in this broadcast is provided courtesy of zapsplat.com. Until next time, Marina wants to remind you from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.